This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr dot org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. And produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 782 for release on Sunday, February 18th, 2024. On WaveScan today, broadcasting in Sweden, part one. The HFCC A24 conference in Kuala Lumpur, part three. And our Philippine DX report. Today, Ray Robinson begins a two-part look at the history of radio broadcasting in the northern European country of Sweden. So, take it away, Ray. Thanks, Jeff. Sweden is the eastern country situated on the Scandinavian peninsula in northern Europe. It's nearly a thousand miles long with a total population of about ten and a half million. The earliest written history of this Nordic country was documented by the Romans some 2,000 years ago. The daring exploits of the Vikings in their Atlantic quests to the west and the south have been chronicled and re-chronicled, though it should be stated that the Swedish Vikings usually travelled east, spreading out into Russia. Actually, as the old records tell us, wireless came very early to Sweden. It was back in the year 1900 that the Swedish Navy borrowed some Marconi wireless equipment from the AEG company in Germany. This electrical equipment was used in a series of successful wireless tests at Stockholm, on land and at sea. Two years later, the first permanent wireless station in Sweden was installed in Stockholm, and in fact it was in use for ship communication for exactly 100 years. This station was originally installed in the year 1902. It went through several series of modernizations and it was ultimately closed on February 1, 2002. The long history of the Swedish coastal radio station SDJ must be one of the longest terms of radio service anywhere in the world. During the era of wireless telegraphy in Morse code, a whole network of coastal and regional stations was established in Sweden. These stations were installed mainly at coastal locations throughout the country, and each call sign was issued in consecutive order, beginning with SAA in Karlskrona, SAB in Gothenburg, SAC in Tralleborg, and so on down through the alphabet. And again, as the records tell us, radio broadcasting also came quite early to Sweden. The first amateur radio broadcasters began their experimental transmissions during the year 1922, and interestingly, the call sign for each of these stations during this era consisted of four letters of the alphabet, beginning with SA or SM. These days, a regional identification number is inserted into amateur call signs in Sweden. 
It stated that there were many local stations on the air in Sweden during the 1920s, and these were operated by radio clubs, commercial organisations and individual operators, as well as by the government Royal Telegraph Administration. Music programmes were on the air quite often from many of these long-wave and medium-wave stations. The Swedish government announced in 1924 that it planned to nationalise the broadcasting industry, as in England, and on Thursday, January 1st of the next year, 1925, the new organisation, Radio Janet, produced its first network broadcast. This epic radio occasion was a special programme held in Jakob's Church in Stockholm. By the late 1920s, there were 15 medium-wave stations scattered throughout Sweden, all of which used four-letter call signs beginning with either SA or SM. In the mid-1930s, Sweden had two short-wave stations on the air with programme broadcasting. These two stations, both with amateur-style call signs, SM5SD and SM5SX, were located in Stockholm, and they were logged in the United States and Australia. Hello, hello. This is Stockholm, Sweden. Good evening, everybody. Every Wednesday and Saturday night, we are going to arrange a special shortwave program as an experiment, primarily for Swedes in foreign countries. Certain parts of the ordinary program shall be composed into a one-hour transmission. The time for this broadcast is 2 o'clock Swedish time, that is 1 o'clock Greenwich Mean Time, the nights between Wednesday and Thursday, and Saturday and Sunday. Station SM5SX was installed at the Technical University and its operating channel was 15080 kHz. With political tensions rising in Europe during the late 1930s, Swedish radio and the foreign ministry decided that Sweden needed to have a more robust voice to the outside world. A longwave station had been inaugurated at Motala in the summer of 1927, and it was at this location, ten years later, that two Swedish-made shortwave transmitters rated at 12 kilowatts each were installed. One of these new units was inaugurated in 1938 and the other in 1939. These transmitters used four different channel call signs, SBO and SBU on one, and SBP and SBT on the other. In December 1939, news in English, French and German went on the air for the first time. Even though Sweden was a neutral country, it was still impacted by the privations of war and wanted the world to understand that. Hello America, hello America, this is Sweden calling, Sweden calling. Sweden calls America. This week, Sweden calls all housewives. In a previous program in this series, we brought you the voice of Mr. Yuris, Sweden's Minister of Supplies, who told you something about Sweden's supplies and the extent of rationing. And so today we thought you might be interested in having a practical demonstration of what the average Swedish housewife can buy in the way of foodstuff. After things settled down in Europe in the post-war years and the Cold War took hold, Sweden placed an order with the Marconi Company in England for the purchase of two shortwave transmitters at 100 kilowatts each. These two units were installed at the already existing radio station located at Herbie, which had been erected in 1928, and they were inaugurated in 1952. Use of the two older 12kW shortwave transmitters at Matala was phased out after the two 100kW shortwave transmitters were inaugurated at Herbie. 
1972, two 500 kilowatt shortwave transmitters were ordered. One was installed at Herbie, but due to coronal arcing in the antenna system during foggy weather, they had to reduce the power level to 350 kilowatts. The other 500 kilowatt shortwave transmitter was installed at Carlsborg, a station which had originally been established back in 1918 as a Spark wireless communication facility. However, the output of this unit was also reduced to 350 kilowatts due to a similar coronal arcing problem in the antenna system. In 1955, the Swedish Pentecostal movement set up a Christian broadcasting ministry in Stockholm called IBRA, or IBRA Radio, which produced programs in many languages for transmission on various stations around the world. Initially, they broadcast via the shortwave transmitters of Radio Tangier in Morocco, and in the 60s they added HCJB in Quito, Ecuador, as well as many local stations around the world. From the 70s onward, they expanded dramatically, producing programming that was also heard on shortwave via Radio Trans Europe in Sinesh, Portugal, Radio Mediterrane in Malta, High Adventure in South Lebanon, FEBA in the Seychelles, and FEBC in the Philippines, as well as on local stations in over 100 countries and in more than 60 languages. In the 2000s, their broadcast activities have been scaled back in favour of more emphasis on usage of social media, but they're still active on shortwave in 2024, broadcasting now in a dozen or so African and Asian languages from Encompass transmitters around the world. Ibra, though, has always followed a policy of buying time on established stations and has never transmitted from within Sweden. Well, next week, when we continue the story of radio broadcasting in Sweden, we'll look at the impact offshore stations had in the 1960s at shaking up the official radio networks there. And we'll also be remembering some of Radio Sweden's external service programmes that were so beloved by shortwave listeners. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Ray. And we'll look forward to that concluding part of the story next week. Last week, we began an interview with Gary Stanley and Steve Palmer of Encompass Digital Media, which operates the BBC shortwave transmission sites around the world. It also sells airtime to non-BBC programmers. Let's continue with that conversation, which was recorded at the HFCC A24 Shortwave Frequency Conference in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. So, uh, what... What have been the interesting uh, highlights of this uh, 824 conference for you, Gary? Um, I guess the most interesting of all was we had a, a difficult problem with our Chinese colleagues, and it was on a frequency which we call a sacred cow for the BBC, so 6195 kilohertz, which the BBC had been using for decades. However, with the recent reductions in um, co- coverage of Central Asia, our transmission, in order to reuse 6195 kilohertz, we turned it towards the east, hoping that we might be able to reuse that frequency, being a sacred cow, etc. Unfortunately, the Chinese got a big problem, so we had to uh, try and find out a, a solution, and we ended up moving two hours of our lovely 6195 kilohertz transmission to another frequency. With the help of our American friends and friends from uh, Germany as well, it was a mul- kind of a multilateral thing because it was at peak time. And uh, the Chinese, of course, were really, really pleased <laughs> and somewhat surprised that we were able to do that for them. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a mini uh, United Nations, uh, I think, at times, right? <laughs> yes, I, th- I think it's very much like other international uh, fora 
However, this, this fora has the most cooperation. I, I've been to Geneva, I've been to the ITU meetings where people argue over words. In this room, we all cooperate very well. So it's a, well, it's and, and it's a rather s small group. I mean, uh, we're talking under 100 people usually, mm -hmm. and, and people who get together twice a year, uh, most of them are, know each other, right? <laughs> Exactly. That, I think that's why it works. You know, people, we meet, meet the same faces every time. You know, you sort of go up to a delegation and they, they start smiling because they've seen you, they've worked with you before. And uh, that, I think that's why it works. We all, we all cooperate, we all work together. And those relationships are super important because yeah. you build trust, uh, you get to know each other. Um, and ultimately, uh, everyone's uh, here f for the same aim. Uh, everybody wants to ensure uh, a, a great service for, the, for for their audience, and everybody wants to ensure that those uh, those precious frequencies that are, are well known by the listeners are preserved, uh, and that they, their audience will will be able to find their station. So, uh, so there's that that mutual effort to uh, to, to to coordinate and, and ensure the a successful outcome. And people not only see each other in the conference hall, but they see each other in the breakfast hall and sometimes at dinner and, yes. and other, other the events. lunch buffet. <laughs> uh, there, there's quite, quite often uh, people will go out in the evening, uh, have dinner together. Uh, and it's all just part of catching up with friends who you've uh, got to know over uh, a long period. I mean, I, I'm relatively new to HFCC, to be honest. Uh, um, but Gary, you've known some of your colleagues for... Many years, coordination colleagues. Yes, uh, I've been doing this work since uh, 1999. So 25 years of coming to HFCC. Started off in Lisbon at a very young sort of uh, age, and um, I've been to about 41 uh, conferences. You know, and I'm, I'm just about to retire, in fact. Yes, um, uh, this this will be your your last HFCC conference, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I'm 65 in March, and uh, decided that. Uh, I want to take the opportunity to spend more time with the grandchildren and yeah. spend some time doing sort of uh, things to do with aviation, which I'm very keen on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but it, it may be hard to uh, you may have with, withdrawal symptoms or something from not attending. Yes, it's, <laughs> you know, it's very, very, um, it's quite difficult to stop coming to these meetings because I've enjoyed myself so much and obviously enjoyed uh, you know, working with the steering board and all of that. So it's, yeah, I've, I'm... I'm in two minds, but I've, I've done so much work with the HFCC and, and had such good memories that I think it's time to carry on to another, another thing. Jeff, you're the interviewer here, but may I ask Gary a question, which Absolutely. I'm, I'm quite <laughs> interested, given what you just mentioned, Gary, about the length of time you've been coming to HFCC. How has HFCC changed over the years in terms of, there's, there's a lot of technology now, isn't there, with the collisions and predictions and plotting, uh, and b before there was that uh, IT, um, how did it work? Was it different to, to now? Or? It's, it has changed tremendously, yes. Um, you know, Encompass and its former names, we, we have organised a couple of conferences many years ago, and in those days it was all paper-based. There was very little you know, mm. you know, help to, to be had on, on computers. So we were still you know, sat there a lot of the time studying the schedule in a, in a paper format, which had to be printed every day. So it was a very big overhead for the host. Hundreds and hundreds of pages. Yes, yes. And you know, probably you know, 40, 50 uh, you know, number of schedules to be printed. And of course now it's all online and you know, we have a, a very powerful tools 
and it's it's it's, it's more easy, but it's, again, there's still experience counts with this work. I remember, I think it was the 2005 conference in Mexico City. We, we had a, a printing company outside uh, somewhere near the hotel that came in every day and, and, and brought us the, 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 the reams and reams of paper uh, printed schedules that were distributed to everybody. So, yeah, it, it has changed a lot. Uh, Steve, uh, what for you were highlights of this conference? For me, this this year, and, and as I mentioned, I'm relatively new to HFCC, um, but uh, there's been a, a fantastic uh, attendance in uh, here in Kuala Lumpur, uh, and uh, f- for me, it's fa- fa- fairly. Um, uh, it, it's it's not necessarily relating to HFCC, but my first time actually in Kuala Lumpur. It's been wonderful to come and and, and see KL and visit and see Malaysia, um, but also see uh, some of the. Uh, colleagues from other broadcasters who I'm really getting to know now. So, um, and 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 also, uh, uh, give, given shortwave hours have reduced a bit, uh, as we all know, but seeing such a uh, a well-attended HFCC conference with so many broadcasters uh, really, um, I think, speaks to the, the faith people are uh, still placing shortwave. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, for those who don't know, Encompass has taken over many of the uh, ex-BBC transmitter sites, or some, I guess, are still BBC, but they're they're. Uh, Operated, operated, operated by Encompass, and and so uh, you have a site in the UK. I think the only one left in the UK, yes. which has celebrated a recent, uh, very important anniversary, right? Yes, that's right. Um, our our site in uh, in Wolverton, uh, in the UK uh, celebrated its 80th anniversary uh, in uh, October last year, 2023, um, which uh, really is is, is fantastic. Um, it was um, the, actually the last shortwave site to be built in the UK by the BBC. Um, it was uh, built in 1943, October 1943. Uh, its first broadcast was on the 17th of October 1943, um, and uh, as I say, it was the, the last shortwave site built by the BBC in the UK, um, and is the last shortwave site still uh, operating uh, in the United Kingdom, so it was uh, uh, a really wonderful to celebrate that that milestone. Um, and how did you celebrate it? We had a a, a great event uh, at the site. We had around about a hundred invited uh, dignitaries and guests, um, including uh, lots of retired staff, former staff who used to work at the site. Um, we had a, a special broadcast which we, uh, we we radiated on three frequencies from Wolverton, uh, which was switched on by uh, the local mayor. Um, which was fantastic, uh, and uh, uh, one of those frequencies was a, a DRM frequency, uh, and one of the frequencies uh, we used the oldest uh, transmitter that's still operating at the site, uh, which is a Marconi BD272 dating back to 1963. Uh, a great way to celebrate its, its birthday. And you got a lot of response to this broadcast, right? These broadcasts. Yes, we did. We uh, we actually we put out a call for reception reports, um, and uh, those that that call was covered in both the, uh, the, the domestic press in the UK but also international shortwave press um, and we had hun- hundreds of reception reports from the uh, shortwave listening community uh, from as far afield as, as Japan, uh, from uh, the United States, Germany, um, some from Russia. It was a fantastic uh, response. Um, took us quite by surprise as well. We weren't quite expecting the, the number that we did, but we uh, we sent out uh, yeah, hundreds of electronic QSL cards, um, and we also ran a competition as well. Uh, so we put them all into a hat, and uh, and we had a winner who uh, who won a, a, a Wolverton memento, which we've uh, we've sent out. Uh, so uh, it was it was great, and to, to anybody listening who who 
who listened to the, the broadcast and who sent us a, a reception report, thank you very much for getting involved with our, our celebrations because it was uh, a really wonderful, wonderful day and, and so good to see the site um, celebrate that milestone. How many transmitters do you have there? We have seven operational transmitters at Woofton at the moment. Um, so we have, we have four um, RIS transmitters, which are our, our most modern uh, transmitters there. Uh, they're AMC capable and also DRM capable. Um, and then we have a further uh, two Marconi B6124s, which date back to the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, they're they're channelized 300 kilowatt uh, transmitters. Um, and then we have one remaining BD272, which is a fully manual uh, transmitter, which dates back to 1963, 250 kilowatts. Um, and uh, to carry out wave changes still still involves opening the transmitter up, changing the coil. Um, so it tends to it tends to sit on on one band these days, uh, and we, we tend to use it more for, for backup purposes. But um, it's uh, it's still in absolutely beautiful condition. What about uh, antennas at the site? Uh, we have thirty seven antennas. Thirty seven. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, thirty seven antennas um, in uh, ver various bearings. Um, we can cover. Probably 80% of the of the globe from Wolverton, um, and the the actual design of the antenna field dates back, still dates back to the 1960s re-engineering of the site. The site was re-engineered in the 60s by Voice of America, um, so we still have a, a quite a, a, a large number of those antennas uh, point east. Um, increasingly, though, uh, I suppose Gary, you would, from our scheduling team, you would be more across the schedule than I am. But um, quite a lot of what we do from Wolverton now targets Africa, doesn't it? That's correct, yeah. Um, Eastern Europe, yeah. Africa, occasional services to uh, USA. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where the, you know, the site is a single hop from Africa and Europe, so it works really well. We were talking there with Gary Stanley and Steve Palmer of Encompass Digital Media at the HFCC A24 conference in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. We'll have more of that conversation next week. Right now, it's off to the Philippines. Here's Henry Amadai. Hello, everyone. Hello, dear shortwave listeners. Wherever you are, welcome to the very, very 11th edition of the Philippine DX. This report number 203. I'm Henry Amadai in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Glad to be back and thank you for listening. I would like to thank the following DXers for sending a reception report most recently. Mr. Jan Zachary Alvarez in Cavite here in the Philippines and Mr. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada. To all of you, thank you very much. Reception logs for January 2024. January 4, Ray Show New Zealand International 13755 in English. From Ranjitaki at 0920 SIO 555. January 5, Voice of America on 12080 in Korean from Tinang at 1215 SIO 444. January 5, China Radio International on 17510 in Filipino from Nanning at 1210 Isayo 333. January 7, All India Radio on 15400 in Nepali from Bengaluru at 0922 Isayo 333. January 8, Radio Taiwan International on 9740 in Japanese from Paochong at 1120 Isayo 555. January 12, World Christian Broadcasters. KNLS on 9625 in English from Anchor Point at 1240 SIO333 January 14 NH Courage of Japan on 9750 in Japanese from Yamata at 0939 SIO444 January 21 Voice of America on 9795 in Chinese from Tinang at 0935 SIO555 January 21 
KTWR Transwell Radio on 11965 in Indonesian from Agat at 40 SIO 555 January 23 FABC Radio on 9795 in Vietnamese from Iba Sambales at 1140 SIO 3 January 28 Adventist World Radio on 11690 in Chinese from Agat Guam at 1020 SIO 444 January 31 Radio Free Asia on 15155 in Khmer from Tinian Island at 1230 SIO 444 and January 31 Radio Thailand on 9385 in English from Modern Tani at 1225 SIO444. Send us your comments, suggestions, reception logs, and informations to philippinasdx at gmail.com. That's P-I-L-I-P-I-N-A-S-D-X for philippinasdx at gmail.com. This has been Henry Umaday for Wavescan in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental, Central Philippines, saying mabuhay at maraming salamat po. And we end this week's edition of Wavescan with folk music from Sweden. Thanks for listening to Wavescan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week, we'll have Sweden Part 2. More from the HFCC A24 conference in Kuala Lumpur and much more. Wavescan is heard weekly on KSDA in, in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and other AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.
This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 